Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits and I'm bringing it to you real and unfiltered. I know there is so much information out there, so I'm here to help you navigate it all. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I have a great episode for you today, all about beauty, aesthetics, skincare, aging, and of course, surgery, because I'm talking to Dr. Amir Karam. He's a double board certified plastic surgeon based in San Diego. I've been following him for a long time. I really like his work. I really like his transparency and I really like his demeanor. And I loved talking to him. He just has a really honest and straightforward approach when it comes to all of this. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy it as well. So a little bit of background on him. As I said, he's double board certified. He has 15 years of experience. He's devoted his career to mastering facial plastic surgery and perfecting his unparalleled facial rejuvenation practice. He's one of the top surgeons in the country. He's established the Carmel Valley Facial Plastic Surgery and Aesthetic Center in San Diego in 2008. His multi-award winning practice offers advanced techniques in facial rejuvenation, delivering natural, safe, predictable results. Definitely go to his Instagram and check it out. And throughout his career, he's performed over 6,000 successful procedures for clients across the globe, including his patented vertical restore and vertical prevent techniques, which he talks about in this episode. Those address laxity and facial shape change associated with aging. And he uses customized fat transfer as an innovative way to replace facial volume permanently. I think he actually came across my radar when I got fat transfer last year. And something that I appreciate about him and his social media is that he shows a lot of the healing process. So I kept referring to it when I was in recovery and healing because I was like, okay, this is normal for five days, seven days, 10 days, whatever. And a lot of that also, of course, are the patients who allow him to post all of that. So Dr. Karam is double board certified by the American Board of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery and the American Board of 
otolaryngology, I can't, head and neck surgery. He has published over 20 peer-reviewed research articles, over 25 surgical textbook chapters on facial plastic surgery, and has co-authored his own surgical textbook, Rejuvenation of the Aging Face. He's also the creator and founder of Karam MD Skincare, a premium regimen that covers the entire spectrum of skincare for women and men of every age and skin type. So... Of course, we talk about surgery, but we also talk a lot about prevention. And he knows that my audience ranges from, you know, younger patients through all age ranges, really. But he wanted to focus on not only what to do when we start seeing changes, but how to best maintain you know, our youth. And, and he has this concept of like looking as good as you feel on the outside, as you do on the inside. So it's not just about chasing this look where you're just going to look young forever, but it's really matching how you feel inside with how you look on the outside. So with all of that said, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't and enjoy. Okay. Welcome Dr. Karam. Happy to have you here. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Ariel. It's, this is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. I was telling you before we recorded that I have been a longtime follower and I really love your work. So I'm excited to talk about all of that. But to start out, can you just give the audience a little background on you and who you are and what you do? Absolutely. My pleasure. So I am a facial plastic surgeon that specializes in facial rejuvenation. And my entire practice is limited to procedures and techniques that essentially help people look as young as they feel. I mean, that's something that I think is such a foundational and important part of quality of life and, and feeling uh, comfortable within your own skin. So uh, I've limited every other aspect of the procedure. And all we do is, you know, from a surgical perspective, we do these things and then, uh, and then cover the continuum on a skin um, aspect as well to basically bring those two worlds together and help people uh, achieve their goals in that way. I want to talk about that concept of looking as young as you feel, because I feel like there's such a stigma still around cosmetic surgery and procedures. And it's fine if people don't want to do that and don't want to succumb to societal pressure, beauty standards, whatever you want to call it. But I think it is still so stigmatized and looked at as a negative thing. And you know, I think that there's no reason why, especially with the advances in surgery and how natural it can look, people should have to not look as young as they feel. I agree with you. You know, what's interesting is, is because of that stigma, and by the way, it's gotten so much better over the last 15, 20 years that I've been in practice. You know, the original surgical patient was typically in their, in their sixties. They had, you know, jowling and neck laxity, you know, down to their chest basically. And then it, only at that point did they feel that they were justified to go in and have a corrective procedure. And unfortunately there's a lot of years between the onset of aging and the time when those, uh, those changes become severe. And all along that time, the, the individual, for most cases, are feeling you know that they're drifting further and further away from their self identity and their and their youth and beauty. And what's really remarkable about it is that 
when you ask people, uh, and the listeners can, can, uh, can test this, when you ask somebody to close their eyes and picture how young they feel, it's usually a lot younger than they actually are. And that, that uh, you know, for somebody who's in their 30s, it's probably pretty, pretty linked up. But then you get into somebody who's in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, they still feel like they're in their 30s which is pretty, pretty amazing mm-hmm. um, that the, we don't catch up to our actual chronological age. And that's where the trouble is because fundamentally we're not even supposed to be living as long as we are. And uh, because we're living a, this, this long, we're suddenly, we're forced to, you know, basically live with those, those uh, aging changes that happen during perimenopause and, and postmenopause very, um, very uh, reliably, but then there's a whole continuum. And we, I'd love to talk about the sort of the younger um, individuals who are, who I think the stigma is a little stronger in that particular group currently, but you know, there's some interesting things going on there, but these changes, they just happen and, and you're forced to either live with them or do something about it. And I think those individuals who do something about it live a, a life that is much more fulfilled because they, they don't feel like they're wearing a mask on their face anymore as the changes that are causing their face to look different, you know, get corrected by the surgical procedures or whatever um, is, uh, is, is recommended in those situations. Mm-hmm. And it's not just women either. It's men. I know men in their 60s, 70s who say the same thing. Like, And it's interesting too, because a lot of people that I ask who are in that older age range, they say that they feel better than they have like in their whole lives. And I think it's, yeah. you know, obviously there are physical things that come with aging, but it's also the mindset. And we have this thing where we fear aging, but really people kind of say that it gets better as you go, but then they look at themselves in the mirror and because they still feel like that 30 year old, it's jarring. Yes. So That's it seems exactly. like a universal experience kind of. It's, you know, it's universal, it's cross-cultural, it's, it's, uh, I think, a very human thing that you want to fundamentally look the way you feel. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the aging changes just, you know, they, they make a person look very different than that. And that's hard to live with. And, and, uh, and, I, and I love the fact that I think overall the trend is, is drifting in the right direction in that way. And, uh, and from, from that perspective, I think we're seeing a lot more people actively sharing their stories about these things. Also, um, you know, taking those steps to do these things without uh, feeling as guilty about it, because I think a lot of people generally still, although they do fight some of that vanity slash, you know, guilt to, so, you know, taking care of themselves aspect of things, but it's improving over time. And I think, like, as you said earlier, realizing that you can get things done that are natural looking and uh, don't look like you've had any work done with more advanced approaches it takes some of that stigma away too, because it is a little, you know, that is a choice that some people had to make. It's, you know, the traditional stereotypical facelift, for example, you look like you had work done. And as a result mm-hmm. of that, um, it wasn't always a good look, right? I mean, it made you look kind of pulled, alienish, you know, look like a different person. So for a lot of people, it was a decision of whether they should look like that or look aged. But now with, with some of our newer approaches, we can, uh, we can kind of, you know, have the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. 
So I am traveling for the next few weeks and you better believe that I brought my stash of athletic greens with me. I love bringing athletic greens with me when I'm traveling. I take it daily at home just in my normal life, but I really love it for traveling because I never know what I'm going to be eating. And I just feel like being consistent with this, I cover all my bases. The travel packs are super convenient. So if you're wondering what exactly is this stuff, one scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy. That's the one that I really notice. Your recovery, focus, aging, all of the things. So like I said, I drink it daily. I always make it first thing in the morning before I have my matcha or anything. I just mix it with about eight ounces of water. Sometimes I throw a couple ice cubes in there, shake it up and that's it. And it's really something that I have come to crave. So it's super convenient. I love that it kind of replaces the need to take a bunch of different supplements. It's really like a micro habit that has so many different benefits. It's also lifestyle friendly. So whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free. It also contains less than one gram of sugar. It has no chemicals, no artificial, nothing while still tasting really good. A lot of people ask me what it tastes like and it's kind of hard to describe, but it has a little bit of a hint of like pineapple, a little vanilla, but it's not overly sweet. And like I said, it's something that I really crave every morning. So right now, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash blonde files. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash blonde files to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Feeling my best starts with what I'm putting in my body and I truly thrive when I'm eating really nourishing, nutritious food, which can be hard with a busy schedule, being on the go all the time. And I definitely notice that if I start skipping meals or like ordering out all the time, snacking constantly instead of having meals and so on, I really start to feel it. So that's where Sakara comes in. Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. So definitely go check out the menu in your area. This week, they have this amazing peach parfait, chocolate muffins, earth bowls, plant-based bolognese, Saqqara granola, which is so good. It's my favorite. Some great salads like a plant-based cob salad. They have like noodle dishes and so much more. I love that they have so much variety. So definitely just go to Saqqara.com and put in your zip code and it'll show you next week's menu. Also, the Saqqara shop is stocked with functional plant-rich products and wellness essentials to help create a body you feel strong and vibrant in like their best-selling metabolism super powder. They have really good plant protein bars. They have teas. They have a super seed and nut blend that's really good. So definitely check that out. And right now, Saqqara is offering my listeners 20% off your first order. If you go to saqqara.com slash blondefiles20 or enter the code blondefiles20 at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash blondefiles20 to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash blondefiles20 at checkout. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. 
A lot of you may know me from reality TV, and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms. Well, I definitely want to get into all of the surgical procedures. You're a surgeon, but let's kind of rewind a little bit and talk about prevention because a lot of my audience is on the younger side. I mean, it really does span. Um, But I think we're so much more cognizant of aging now too and things that affect it. You know, hopefully people aren't dowsing themselves and whatever copper tan and laying in the sun with a reflector for eight hours a day, which I did when I was younger and the tanning bed. (laughs) Um, And, you know, probably not smoking as much. And people are just more aware of these things that lend themselves to aging. So for somebody who is still relatively young and they're, they're not at a point where they need any kind of intervention yet, what are some of the things that they should be doing to preserve their youth? Yeah, that's such a good question and such a um, important what's about to come is I think a very good nugget to carry with, with yourself. So here's, here's how it plays out. There are two fundamental things that, that make a person look older, right? One is the changes in the facial shape, right? So when you think about a young person and I always, you know, spend a lot of time kind of examining just people and trying to understand this is what I've come up with. If you think about a young person, you have a youthful facial shape. And what basically that means is there's a certain level of volume in the face, right? There's a firmness of the jawline. There's a firmness and good contour of the neck. There's a nice position of the mid face and, and eyelids don't have a ton of droopiness and excess skin. And that's, so those are things that affect shape, right? And I'm going to, I think this is a really important, um, what's to come here that you have no control in. That's just going to be genetics. That's going to be, you know, sort of natural time, you know, sequences that go by those things. I, there really isn't anything you can do to physically change that aspect because that's happening at the deep fascia layer. You know, loss of fat, for example, that causes the face to deflate. That's just happening. I mean, there's not much that, uh, that one can do to prevent or preserve that. But then there's another piece of that. And I'll get back to why this is important to understand this aspect. The other, the other part you have full control over, which is the changes in facial skin, right? Or the skin quality. So skin and shape are the two things that make a person look young, young looking skin and young looking facial shape. The skin, that's a hundred percent up to the person. And what's beautiful about it is, is if somebody who's younger, say in their twenties and thirties decides that they want to take their skin into, take control of their skin. What that means is you start off with a good, healthy lifestyle, right? Um, Good, clean living, as you, as you alluded to, no smoking, very little sun exposure and, uh, and, you know, using sunblocks and things like that. And then comes down to active uh, ingredients that you're going to put on your skin that are really, really important because this is the piece that I think is not very clearly understood is what, what type of things do you want to put on your skin actively to resist the aging changes that are going to happen with it? And that comes down to things like retinol, vitamin C, you know, niacinamide, certain things, that, you know, good, good um, lotion that moisturizing and, high, and hydrating um, qualities to the skin. So those are the things that are going to keep the skin 
from thinning over time. Because that's one of the things, if you think about, you ask yourself, well, why does somebody say in their 30s and 40s and beyond need Botox in the first place, right? Why does, why does that even become a thing? Why do we even talk about that? It's the same muscles that are moved when you're younger, but yet all of a sudden when you get older, suddenly you know you, those lines start to show. It's because the skin is losing elasticity and it's getting thinner. So if you can do the things that are gonna keep the skin thick over time, well, guess what? The skin is gonna continue to look youthful and just like it did when it was in the 20s and you didn't need Botox and all these other things, right? So it's a very important perspective to have. And that's actually something that I've become more and more enamored with, you know, that side of, of the aging process, the preventative side of it. And then why that's important for patients as they get older. And then the, the other side of it starts to come in because then once you know that those things you can't prevent, it's going to keep you from doing a lot of those things that you hear about from a hype point of view, things like fillers and uh, you know, this, this uh, radio frequency device, that ultra, you know, ultrasound device, this laser, that laser all touted and positioned in a preventative framework in reality, it doesn't not, it not only doesn't prevent anything, but it also doesn't restore anything. So it's, it puts people in a position where they're now empowered with knowledge and empowered with understanding that, you know, when the time comes, when the shape starts to change, then there are certain procedures and, and quite honestly, it, it comes down to surgical procedures that are going to actually be able to address those things. And then everything else you just, you just avoid. I mean, it's that simple. It keeps you from wasting a lot of time, money, and energy. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of the listener questions and somebody did send a question asking if there's anything that you can do to thicken skin, meaning once you're, you've lost some of that elasticity, collagen, whatever, is there anything that you can do to restore that? Or at that point, are you just kind of looking at surgery? <laughs> no, you know what, actually, so this, this, is a, it's a great question. I'm, I'm happy to answer it. So the thinning of the skin is not something that can happen over, uh, thickening of the skin is not something that can happen overnight. And that's a really important perspective. And it, by the way, has nothing to do with surgery either, because even if you do surgery on somebody who has thinner skin, they are still going to have thinner skin after surgery because you're moving the deep stuff around. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not doing anything to improve the quality of the skin. So to improve the, the, uh, the thickness of the skin, what you got to do is you got to increase the production of collagen. So what, how do you increase the production of collagen? So Basically, um, you know, things like retinol, vitamin C, for example, those are products that when they're put on the skin every single day, they're working at the cellular level to increase the production of collagen. Then you get into things that you can do to your skin. Basically, anytime you injure your skin, right? Anytime you um, perform microneedling or do a light chemical peel or do a light laser, for example, any injury to the skin sends signals back to those, those uh, fibroblasts, those uh, cells that create collagen saying, Hey, by the way, we got a little injury on, on our surface here. We need to heal and healing is production of collagen and basically, you know, the scar formation. So that, that cycle can be completely used in our advantage to improve the quality of the skin over time for somebody who's lost their thickness as, as a result of, of aging. For example, my wife was in her mid thirties when she got really serious about her skin. And when you look at her now at 50, her skin is actually much thicker, much more supple and in way better shape all around than it was when she was in her thirties. Cause you know, she grew up the same way. She was, you know, a cross country runner, a tennis player in high school, all that kind of stuff and was in the sun a lot. So as a, as a result of that, her, her skin took, took a hit but she's, she was able to rebound, but it took a, it took a lot of dedicated, you know, lifestyle things. And one of them, a huge one of them was the, 
the lifestyle of doing the right things on your skin on a daily basis from a skincare point of view. And that was really, for me, that was my inspiration of why I got into the, uh, the skincare arena in terms of trying to develop something that patients could use that would effectively do those type of things over the long run. And that's where we came up with the trifecta. But you can do all of those components separately as well, but it's important to do them. And that's probably the biggest, biggest message there that somebody who's lost it can gain it, but it's going to be slow but it can be done and, mm-hmm. uh, and they can't, because if they, if they do nothing, it's only going to get thinner. Right. It's, it's sort of like, it's like muscle atrophy. Basically. It's like your body gets in shape by working out regularly and eating well regularly. And if you don't do it, it's just going to continue to atrophy over time. So at any point in your life, when you want to get back in shape, it's, it's worth it. And it'll slowly so, start to show the changes over time. Okay. So now you got to drop your wife's skincare routine. Is she using your product? Yeah. You know, it's such an, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I can't take, she honestly, looks amazing by yeah. the way. I've seen her on your Instagram. Yeah. Thank you. No, I can't take credit for her skin looking the way it does. She does use my product now she does, but I mean, for 15 years, she's been doing all those components that are in my product, just doing them separately. But she's like one of the few people that was able to do like eight or 10 steps on her skin and do them religiously, no Mm -hmm. matter what time you'd come home at night, she would do those steps and all that kind of stuff. But most of my patients who I try to mimic that type of a regimen, they just couldn't do it. So that's why I consolidated it all into, into those three steps um, to Mm -hmm. make it usable for most people. Okay. So tell everyone about the three steps. Oh, so um, the, basically, I mean, every, every, good skincare routine starts with cleansing, right? I mean, that's, that's, these are all fun things that I've learned because as a surgeon, you, you don't get trained to learn this. So this is stuff you have to learn on your own. Um, and I recognize that the, the cleansing of the step is actually the most important first step to things, because if you don't, you know, eliminate the debris, the dirt, the makeup, all that stuff, then nothing you put on your skin is going to penetrate the right way. And there's so much to cleansing too, which is an interesting thing. I mean, non, you know, things that are foaming are are abrasive and drying to the skin, for example, and all these nuances. So anyway, we came up with a cleanser that is, that is mildly foaming, very, very good in terms of uh, removing all the makeup and everything else, but also we added a bunch of anti-inflammatories to it. So it decreases the inflammation of the skin, which is important for pores and all that kind of stuff. So the cleansing step one, and that's the product is called rinse. Then there's the um, vitamin C step, which vitamin C I mean, the more you learn about it, the more you realize it has just so many uh, positive effects on the skin. Like we mentioned, you know, improving collagen, um, decreasing pigmentation, you know, it it brightens the skin. It it just, there's a lot going on with vitamin C. And so the, the particular vitamin C that we use is a combination of three different types of vitamin C that uh, actually works better than like your typical vitamin C, plus again, more anti-inflammatories to the skin. So that's, that's called quench. And then this, is, this was the inspiration, this final step, which originated because I wanted to, something I could give to my surgical patients to make their life easy. And this started like six years ago, five, six years ago. I just wanted to give them a single product and tell them to go on their way and, and, uh, and use it. And basically what happened is I put all of those things that we, we know are really, really important from an anti-aging point of view, all into a single step. And that is called Illuminate. So there's like 15 different active ingredients in Illuminate. All the big names that you know, you hear about stem cells and peptides and you know, vitamin C, still and more vitamin C, retinol, niacinamide, all those kind of key, key players, all living in one bottle. So then basically you do, you rinse, you do the vitamin C step, and then the all-in-one and you're done. The whole thing takes like 
two, three minutes max, and then you've gotten your entire routine on together. That is a really important thing because it leads to people doing it consistently. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you know, you, you have beautiful skin. I can, I can, you know, I, you. I know you've obviously taken a lot of that stuff probably into practice yourself. Now I do. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, and it, and it pays off. I mean, it's incredible. And people start doing this stuff when they do the right stuff. It's, in, it's amazing. Even after a few weeks, they start seeing the changes in their skin, which is very encouraging mm-hmm. to continue doing it. I'm going to need to try that. I'll be happy to get you some. It's like yeah. right up my alley. I love, yeah. I love less steps. <laughs> yeah. Less steps is, I mean, for me, I never did any um, skincare because it was, um, I couldn't do all the steps that, that it took, you know, to do it normally. Now I do it religiously and, and we, it's a AM PM. So it's a very simple thing to do. Mm-hmm. That was going to be my next question. So aside from skincare, obviously SPF is a huge one. Is there any other lifestyle tip that you have before we get into surgery and and procedures and all of that. Is there any other lifestyle thing that people might not think of off the top of their head that really helps with maintaining or preventing aging? Yeah. So I think, think about your skin and your fashion, all this stuff is, is, you know, just an extension, obviously of all the other parts of your body. Right. So if you think about live, when I say living like a clean lifestyle, what you're talking about is, is a good, healthy diet with lots of, lots of nutrients and lot, you know, a varied um, type of a diet. That's so important because every part of your, of your, your skin and your fashion needs those things to function well. Right. Then there's hydration. Hydration can't be, uh, you know, overestimated. I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, your skin, once it gets dehydrated, that's where it starts to show fine lines and wrinkles and you lose that kind of suppleness. And a lot of that comes from the kind of, you know, hydration that, that you actually take in your body. It's not just what you put on your skin. So, so, you know, starting in a continuum on the far left, if you think about, you know, uh, your diet, your hydration, then SPF, then your daily skincare, you know, routine that you do, then further to the right, then you've got things, and this is important to put this in perspective. Then you've got things like, you know, lasers, microneedling, exfoliation, all that kind of stuff that will improve certain aspects of your skin, but those are more like boot camps, right? I mean, those are kind mm-hmm. of things that jumpstart you to another level, but by themselves, if nothing follows that point, then it's every, you deteriorate back to where you were. And so for so many people, they think the opposite. They start on the right hand side of the continuum. They, they, you know, ask them, what are you doing for your skin? They say, Oh, once or twice a year, I go get a laser, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then they don't do anything in between and, that, mm-hmm. and they don't do any of the things that we just mentioned. And their skin is basically not either continuing to deteriorate or not not uh, improving. So, so that little you know understanding of where things lie on that continuum and how you should kind of play it out is so critical to success um, and uh, and actually making an impact. But like I said, I mean those other other components, the the shape size, I have to be or shape changes. There's really not a whole lot you can do other than I would say probably you know living a life that is less stressful, you know, mm-hmm. not, because that's the other thing you see when people have these high stress situations or have a, you know, unfortunate life event, they can age very quickly through that, uh, through that event. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that, that seems to be a, a correlation as well. Just look at presidents and politicians. There they age go. like that. Yeah. hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. You look at a four, you know, in a four year term, they look very different. Yeah. It's like, who are, who is yeah. this person? <laughs> You're exactly right. So I am either 
going to Italy by the time this releases or I'm there already. I'm not exactly sure. But if you guys have listened to my podcast since last year, you might recall a little jet lag incident when I was in Greece when I literally didn't sleep for like two days because I couldn't sleep on the flight and I couldn't sleep when I got there. But this is not going to happen this time because of Ned CPD, particularly because of their de-stress blend. Also, their sleep blend is incredible, but de-stress has been such a game changer for me. So I love taking it whenever I fly. I've said this before, but like I take it on a flight and I am chilling. It really works for me and it really works fast. So this is amazing, not just for flying, obviously, but for anxiety and stress in general, something that I'm sure we all deal with. And Ned really helped to just kind of regulate all of that when I do experience it. So the De-Stress Blend is a USDA certified organic formula that puts the spotlight on two powerful cannabinoids, CBG, which is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. And then of course, tried and true CBD extracted from the world's purest full spectrum hemp in the foothills of the Colorado Rockies. The blend also features a botanical infusion of ashwagandha and then it has cardamom and cinnamon. So the delicious taste of de-stress blend is thanks to these two. And these products are science-backed nature-based solutions. They offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs and they are incredible. They're also fully transparent. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products and their extraction process all right there on their site. That was something that was really important to me. So invest in yourself and fortify your stress response this month and get 15% off Ned's de-stress blend with the code blonde. That's B-L-O-N-D-E. Just go to helloned.com slash blonde or enter the code blonde at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash blonde to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. A little fun fact about me is that I love a sparkling beverage. In fact, every day I start by drinking flat water. I do that until noon and then at noon I switch over to sparkling. It's such an arbitrary thing, but it's just how I roll. And then for the rest of the day, I drink copious amounts of sparkling water because I guess when it comes to drinking anything, I have a little problem with moderation. But sparkling water gets kind of old. And sometimes in the afternoon too, I want something like with a little bit of a pick-me-up. And that is where sound comes in. So sound are sparkling waters made with tea and botanicals. All of the ingredients are certified organic extracts and completely unsweetened. There's no natural flavors and no sweeteners, but the flavors that they have are really fun and unique. They're so delicious. They have like blueberry with cinnamon and hibiscus tea. They have grapefruit with lavender. And then my favorite, which is ginger tea. And they're perfect throughout the day. They have both caffeine and caffeine free options. So if I do need a little pick me up, it's just enough to like keep me going. It's not going to make me have a burst of energy and then crash. But I also like to have one at the end of the day, like kind of as a mocktail vibe and for that, I have the caffeine free. They're so delicious. They're also very aesthetically pleasing. So they're very Instagrammable if that's your thing. So definitely go check them out. 
you can go to www.drinksound.com and use the code BLONDE at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's drinksound.com. The code is BLONDE, B-L-O-N-D-E, for 20% off your first purchase. Well, I was telling you before we started recording that I really appreciate that you share on your page the healing process and that your patients are willing to share because you don't see that on a lot of doctors' pages. And I was telling you that throughout various procedures that I've gotten, I've referred to your page because it's really the only place that I can go aside from like maybe real self where I can actually see like different stages of healing. And you have a few procedures that really stand out to me and probably that you do the most and that's fat fat transfer, vertical prevent and vertical restore. So maybe we can go through each of those starting with fat and talk about just a little bit about the procedure, what it can do, what it can't do, who it's appropriate for, all of that. Absolutely. So this that's a great, great uh, question because this is, I think there's a lot of misinformation and uh, misunderstanding around fat. So think about aging in three columns, right? So there's a skin, there's the volume, and then there's sagging, right? So fat transfer sits in the column of treating volume loss. Now, so does fillers and so does Sculptra, you know, those, those components live in there. But what a lot of people, the mistake that a lot of people make is they don't realize that volume loss is just one part of the aging process. And as a, as a result, they think that by treating volume, they're actually treating you know, the sagging and all these other things. So there's a lot of misuse of volume. And with a misuse of volume, we see people overfilling a face to create, um, to try to create a lift or try to, you know, improve the shape issues that we discussed. And before you know it, they start looking more and more different and um, in some cases, extremely bad, right? I mean, they look puffy Mm -hmm. and wide and heavy in the jawline and all this kind of stuff. And while all the while there's continuing to sag and they're starting to, you know, that none of that is being affected. And I think after 15 years of playing around with volume treatments, we were starting to finally realize this. So where does fat transfer fit in? Fat transfer is one of those um, procedures that, you know, it's been around for a long time, but for, for whatever reason, there are very few surgeons who do it and do it well. And as a result of that, you know, there's been a lot of bad rap around it. I'm sure you've, you've heard of, you know, it doesn't work. It disappears. It gets lumpy, bumpy, you know, all these different things. And I think all of that is probably true um, when it's not done well. So now we're going to talk about when it's done well, what can, what can happen. So in my practice, I got into it in in 2004, um, you know, before I actually started, I wasn't, I was a resident at that time, you know, fellow in training. And, uh, and I realized that it was such a critical part of, of rejuvenating the face that I, you know, I got deeply into it. And, um, and once I learned how to do it, I did it on every single patient that I treated for either a facelift or eyelid surgery or any of that kind of stuff. So at this point I've done like 7,000 plus um, fat transfers. So here's, here's the, it's track record in my hands. I never see lumpy bumpy. I never see it disappear. It doesn't go away. It's always even between the sides. And the thing is what it does is I use it simply to replace lost volume. As simple as that. It's like you lose a little bit and you put it back. And, and with it, when you do it that way, you never run the risk of looking different or unusual, but you're using it appropriately in that way. But one of the huge advantages of fat over filler is because it's a graft, fat is, belongs to your body. And when you put it into, into the face from whenever you take it from the, like the legs or the stomach or wherever, it becomes a, 
a resident of that area. It, it just becomes part of it. Your body accepts it just like it would if it was a hair graft or a skin graft or, you know, cartilage and rhinoplasty, all these things. So it becomes a part of it. And because it becomes a part of it, you're done. Once you get a fat transfer, you don't have to play around with fillers and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, back to my wife, when she was 36 or whatever, I did a fat transfer on her 14, 15 years ago. That was the last time we did real volume on her. Yeah. We used a little filler for a little lip augmentation or a fine line here and there, but she didn't, I mean, I literally could probably count on one hand, the number of syringes of fillers she's had in the last 15 years, you know, and that's the beauty of it. The permanence of it, you know, the, um, the ability to use it in all the different areas that you lose volume, um, is really huge. But the other cool thing about it is it's packed with stem cells. You know, a lot of people don't, don't, uh, realize that you're getting all the stem cells, which stem cells help rejuvenate the local tissues. So skin gets better, aging slows down a little bit. So there's a lot of magic behind fat transfer. If it's done, done well, that's where it sits in, in our practice as a, as a tool that goes along with a lot of our other surgeries. But here's the thing. They're only patient. This is the key point because a lot of people get excited about it um, after we have a talk like this, but the only people who are candidates for a fat transfer alone are people who have absolutely no sagging in their skin. Mm-hmm. No laxity, because mm-hmm. if you try to do it on somebody who's say in their late forties or, or any age that with, when there's laxity, it ends up becoming very underwhelming, you know, in terms of the outcome. And if you overuse it to try to, you're back to that square one of trying to, you're trying to overfill the face. So right. the right candidate is somebody who's younger, who has just volume loss, but doesn't have sagging. And then the other candidates are the ones who have sagging, who use it in addition to other surgeries. Mm-hmm. So in your hands, does somebody retain close to a hundred percent of what you graft so that or, a, or what can yeah. people expect to retain? So, so what people, so I think about it like this, it's not about the percentage of take because who, who really knows what the percentage is, right? right. I, don't, I don't think there's, um, I mean, filler is a hundred percent take until it starts to go away. Mm-hmm. You always overfill a little bit because every surgeon has kind of their own percentage of, of attrition, but here's the key point there because it's a living tissue. If it doesn't get a blood supply, it disappears within a day or two. Right. Mm -hmm. So based on, on a surgeon's own experience, like for example, I know when I see a deficiency, how much fat to add to it, to get a, a proper result, Mm -hmm. 100% of the time. Got it. Based on that, I just, it's just this numbers thing, but those Mm -hmm. numbers, you know, in my hands don't necessarily equate to somebody else because there's like three or four steps before you get to the point of injection that have to be done in a, in a, you know, standardized way so that you can get uh, that predictable outcome there. So the answer to the question is that 100% of our cases lead to a, a, what I would say an appropriate volume response. And what I mean by that is if a hundred percent is like what you look like when you're 15, you know, mm-hmm. um, we're shooting for like 80%. We're not shooting for a hundred. Cause I mean, a hundred percent is, is, uh, is, a, is too close for comfort for overfill. Yeah. Right. Because if you overdo it a little bit and all of a sudden you're 105% filled, you're in trouble because you can't get rid of it. It's permanent. Right. So it's yeah, better to be, be my next. Yeah. It's, but you can't, you're stuck with it. So I think of it, if a glass is a hundred percent full, I shoot for like 75, 80% of the way there, which is typically enough to create that refreshed, rejuvenated look because volume is what makes us look tired. Mm -hmm. Sagging is what makes us look old. So all we want to do is kind of freshen the face and make them look healthy. And that doesn't take 100% filled to to accomplish that. Right. 
Okay. So when people do have a little bit of sagging, can you explain the difference between like a vertical prevent and then the vertical restore? Yeah. So here's here's the conceptual idea. People are, um, if, again, thinking of aging as a continuum. I think historically, as I mentioned, we thought of people just being really old, you know, like in their 60s, et cetera, 70s, and then having a procedure done, right? We thought of aging at, at that stage. But we know based on what we see, that people age at all different ages, right? I mean, there are people who actually start aging in their 30s, showing signs of aging in their 30s, um, and then you know some in their 40s, et cetera. But what happens is, is the problems associated with aging or the changes are what we have to actually treat, not the age, right? So when we see laxity, when it's early in the spectrum, the 30-something-year-old the may have historically... I shouldn't even say historically, but even today, <laughs> but outside of our practice, outside of our universe, um, that person would probably um, go for like non-surgical treatments, you know, um, uh, certain types of uh, radiofrequency devices, lasers, you know, all those type of things to try to fix the laxity. Mm-hmm. But again, back to my, the, the point that I made is those things don't correct it. So that 30 something year old was left with, you know, just trying different things, threads and all these different things, trying it to correct it to no avail. So the vertical prevent procedure was designed basically using all the foundational techniques that are important for long lasting, kind of like basically kill the aging process type of a um, thing. So deep plane, you know, releasing all the, all the, uh, um, the deeper ligaments, all that kind of stuff. But the only exception is for those younger patients who are starting to see their, their mid face dropping and a little bit of laxity along their jaw lines, et cetera they weren't, they're not seeing their neck involved. So we don't treat the neck. So the difference between vertical restore and vertical prevent is the continuum hasn't gotten them to the point where their neck has started to to show laxity. And as a result of their neck, not showing laxity, they don't, we don't need to do like a full blown neck procedure on them the way we would on somebody who does show signs of neck aging. So that's where prevent and restore changes. Otherwise, fundamentally, I didn't want it to be a lighter version of the other procedure, because at the end of the day, why would you want to go through a procedure and then need to do something again, you know, three weeks, three years later again, right? I mean, that would be a drag. If you're in your thirties and your forties, early forties, and you're starting to see things changing, you want to be kind of one and done for a long time. So these particular procedures, because of the, the, the way they're done, they buy the person two things. One is probably about 10 or 15 years before they consider doing anything else. So that's a long time in, in, you know, sort of facelift terms, probably two to three times as long as your typical lift. But also they um, uh, change the way the face ages literally forever. So once somebody gets into that that deep plane and does all those things, the face is never going to age as quickly as it would, in, you know, naturally. So you end mm-hmm. up aging very slowly and gracefully for the rest of your life, which is mm-hmm. really cool. I think that that's one of the questions that I get the most from people who listen to the podcast who are kind of like in maybe the mid to late thirties, early to mid forties, where they're like, well, things are starting to change, but I don't know if I'm ready yet. So should I do it now before things get to that point? Or do I need to wait a little bit until they do get to the point where it's like worse, you know, like where is that sweet spot really? You know, here's, here's the thing. There's no right answer in terms of you have to be this age or this far along. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's it, back to the original point of all of this, right? It's, it's about self-image, self-confidence, 
you know, comfort in your own skin, feel looking as young as you feel, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And that trigger point is different for everyone. You know, th- that really is a different, different point. What I tell people is when they say, Hey, what am I a candidate? I said, there's two things that you have to answer. One is, um, I mean, two things that has to be answered. One is, do you feel ready? Right. I mean, is this bothering you enough for you to go through the procedure and the expense and the downtime and all that kind of stuff? And if it's bothering you enough, then the sooner you get it done, the better, because it's like, you know, why would you want to live with something that's bothering you arbitrarily? Mm -hmm. Um, Get to a point. The second thing is you have to have enough there surgically to justify a procedure. That's my decision, right? I have to look at the face and touch the face or whatever it is and say, okay, yeah, there's enough laxity here to actually make, do some good. Sometimes we get people who are so, so early in the process, we just simply tell them, Hey, you're just, you're not a candidate because there's just nothing here to, to make an impact on. But if somebody has enough to make an impact, and I usually just tell them to kind of grab, you know, while we're on these uh, uh, virtual consults, you grab your cheek, um, the top of your cheeks and your jawline, you kind of lift upward. And if it, if it, improves the the shape of the face and you like the way that looks, um, people do that anyway. I mean, that's usually another sign that they need it is kind of, they, they do that on their own a lot. Then if it does that, then, okay, that, then you're, you're a surgical candidate. And then if it bothers you, then you do it. I'm not a big believer in anything of just waiting, you know, Oh, come back in five years, you know, just because, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a lot, that's a lot to ask of somebody just to be bothered by something that can be treated very reliably, very naturally, et cetera, early. And like I said before, it's, is when you do do it earlier, you just simply turn, not only turn back the clock, but the clock going forward is ticking at a much slower rate. Also that person, if you said, come back in five years, they're going to go and they're going to do Ulthera and threads and filler and this, that every single thing that you could possibly do in that time and probably make things worse. I'm the same as you. I'm like, give me the surgery. I feel 22. Give me the surgery. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. And, that, and that's, that's the heart. Of, that's exactly the, the thing is because if you don't offer the solution for the person, that person is going to just continue to seek out solutions. And whether mm-hmm. that means, you know, finding another surgeon who will do it for them or doing these other, other procedures. If you say, no, I, I, so I don't, I don't honestly, I don't have a super high threshold, you know, for when to do it on the continuum. I, I think, I mean, everyone has a right to, 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 again, look as young as they feel, to look as good as they feel mm-hmm. and to feel comfortable and, and uh, confident. I think that's really what all we're doing is, is enhancing and imp- improving that and doing it in a reliable and a very natural way at the end of the day. Right. I mean, it's, what could be more natural than fat transfer and surgery? It's, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not, uh, it, we're not in putting any foreign bodies in, we're not, you know, doing anything artificial. It's just simply, um, you know, renovating with what you have. <laughs> well, and that's the thing that I find so interesting. I understand being nervous or apprehensive about getting surgery, but so many people, again, DM me, ask me questions and, and they say like, I don't want surgery, but what can I do? That's X, Y, and Z. They'll, yeah. they'll do anything. Yeah aside from surgery. And I'm like, I understand again, like I said, not wanting to do it, maybe having financial restraints or whatever, but I I'm with you. I'm like that. That's the most natural thing you can do yeah. aside from like, you know, the, the process maybe is a little uncomfortable for a week or two or whatever, yeah, but, yeah. but then you're done. And then you're not like spending so much money on maintenance and um, just chasing whatever it is that you're trying to fix. No, you're, you're totally right. And, and the thing is the financial argument is really interesting because when people tell us, you know, the DM us and same kind of thing, it's like, Oh, I can't afford to do this. 
well, what you can't afford is to, to waste more money mm-hmm. on things that don't work, right? In that situation, yeah. that's like the exact person that shouldn't be doing all the things that are, because I mean, trust me, that stuff starts adding up incredibly in a very sneaky way. It starts adding up. I mean, each thread, you know, drop three to $5,000 each, you know, three or four syringes of filler, you're talking two to 3000, you know, depending on the filler, like it just starts adding over a period of years. I mean, you've, you've paid for a lift and a fat transfer and this and that, like, you know, over and over again, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, like in our practice, a big thing that I advocate for, for the, for the people. And sometimes, you know, I, I mean, as you, if you follow my Instagram, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be very straight about what works, what doesn't work and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know I've upset a lot of my colleagues and a lot of my, you know, the people who actually refer surgery to me and all that kind of stuff, because it's like, this is the stuff that they do. But I, I feel at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're in a medical field, right? At the end of the day, we're, we're physicians, we're surgeons, you know, this is something and there's this, you know, this Hippocratic oath that we all took, which is, you know, first do no harm and also advise, you know, in a very ethical way of what, you know, if you have a diagnosis, what is the treatment that's, that's the best treatment available. Right. Telling somebody to do say all therapy when they're in their fifties and have full-blown laxity, for example, nothing could be more, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, I, you know, Clearly, it's not going to treat the problem. There's no chance. Or putting telling a person to go do Kybella for a big, heavy, lax neck, you mm-hmm. know that's not going to create, treat the problem. So, telling a person to do that to me has always been like this, uh, you know, a thorn in my side of, of of our profession and why it can't be a little bit more, um, you know, sort of honest and and transparent about these type of things. Because I think if you if you can't correct the problem, you shouldn't be doing it. And that's why like in our practice, first of all, we don't have any of those devices. I mean, we literally don't have those devices. I mean, we don't have threads. We don't have, you know, all these things. And I can't even tell you the fortune I would make if I had those things in my, because as as somebody who's, you know, an authority on facial rejuvenation, if I tell somebody, you know, to go do those things, they would do it. But I think in the long run, I would probably not be an authority because I would lose my credibility and trust. And as a result, I would end up being like all these other places where, you know, you're just kind of not, not the, uh, you don't have the same trust that, that has been gained with the, with the patient. And, and I think our profession really needs a lot of makeover in that way. You know, we, I think mm-hmm. it, it starts with, I think, empowering the listeners, the viewers, you know, the people who follow along in our, in our social media to give them the tools. So then when they go and sit down with somebody and they give them a recommendation, now they know it's like, okay, this isn't going to fix the problem. So let's, uh, let's, let's not do it. What's, what's Mm -hmm. the point of wasting time and money on that? I love that. Well, we have a few minutes, so I want to definitely get to some listener questions. So, okay. Let's talk a little bit about like an upper blepharoplasty and a brow lift. I think that these are things that people kind of think are interchangeable. And a lot of people ask me like, if I can just do one, what should I do? I'm like, well, first of all, this is not, I'm not, (laughs) don't (laughs) ask me, (laughs) but can you explain each one and, and what it treats? Absolutely. So that's a really good question, actually. So the upper lid, there's, there's three things that are actually happening at the same time. Number one, there's excess skin of the eyelid, right? So that's excess skin. The second thing is there's laxity of the corner of the brow that comes down and you know the temporal temple starts to sag and that's 
part of the whole fascia starting to come down as well. So if you look down further, the midface is, is sagging as well. But when the corner starts to sag, you start to see kind of hooding in the corners of the eyes. The other thing that's happening is you're losing volume in the temples and above the, uh, the eyelid. So there's three sort of changes happening simultaneously. The upper blepharoplasty just removes the excess skin. The, you know, and I don't, I'm not a fan at all of just traditional brow lifts where you lift the entire brow because that's, that's the way you make people look kind of surprised and different. I lift up the corner of the brow. I do that either by itself as a technique we call lateral brow lift, or it's included in the vertical restore and vertical prevent. It just automatically goes up. But what that does is it, it lifts the, you know, that hooding out of, and that kind of heaviness out of the corner and why it's important to get that diagnosis right and that assessment right is because if you just take out extra skin all the way out to the edge of the brow, you're actually going to pull the brow further down, right? If you try to take out, and it still won't mm. get rid of the hooding. It'll actually just pull it further down and you'll still have the hooding. It's just, you have less space between your eyelid and your brow. So it's really important to get the brow to position where it needs to be to open up that outer segment and then take out and assess and take out the extra skin. So for me, that's always a very careful assessment between you know, lateral brow and eyelid. And I think a very important part is refilling that upper eyelid sulcus because when the eyelid gets hollow, it starts to look really gaunt and skeletonized and not very healthy looking. So adding a little bit of volume to that region is a very beautiful way of restoring that youthful look, which is at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is you're trying to go backwards in time. So you have to get the diagnosis right. And you're restoring that volume with fat. I do it with fat. Yeah. And some people mm -hmm. use fillers and things like that, but I, I do it with fat. When you said that the lateral brow is kind of included in the vertical prevent or, or restore, is that because of where the incision starts? That no, you're it's, just it's, it's because my, um, after all these years, I've realized that the face ages from top to bottom. So mm -hmm. what ends up happening is if you think about it, what's happening anatomically, there's fascia that connects up to the top of your temporal region. And then mm -hmm. that same fascia attaches down to the clavicle that as along the way, the neck muscle, if we start from the base, the neck muscle, the platysma muscle attaches to the fascia in the face, which is called the SMAS. Then that's attached up to the temporal fascia up here. All of these basically elongates with aging. It just, it's an elongation process. I have this uh, little video that I made on, and I think I posted on Instagram once where I sh showed this like pizza dough, I'm holding it upside down or just holding it and watching it kind of elongate. That's basically what's happening to the fascia. It's elongating. When that happens, all of that area starts to elongate together. And the vertical restore and vertical prevent is about bringing all of it back up together so that it, there's no disconnect between these, these uh, different zones of the face. Got it. Interesting. I guess we can just kind of go down. So a lot of people also ask about lower eyelids. So I feel like when people notice aging, at least people that I talk to, they notice around their eyes first and then maybe the jowls and then the neck. And so it is kind of this top down thing. Yeah. I would assume maybe it's because when you look at yourself, you're looking at your eyes and then, yeah. <laughs> so we can kind of move down. So lower eyelids, if people are noticing crepiness, hollowness, maybe when is it a good time for a lower bluff? And when is it just a good time for restoring volume with fat or something? Uh, these are great questions. You're, the audience is going to, is going to be so, uh, so <laughs> very, they have a very powerful uh, knowledge base here. So here's, here's, here's what's happening. The lower eyelid, like the upper eyelid is aging in a, in a um, combination way. 
right? And so you're going to hear this kind of recurring theme, right? So what's the combination that's happening to the lower eyelid? There's three things that age the lower eyelid as well. There's excess skin of the lower eyelid. There's puffiness that happens in some people, but not in others, right? The bags we look at. And then there's loss of volume. So loss of volume is what makes the eyes look hollow. <clears throat> it makes the eyes look gaunt. It makes the eyes look tired. Then there's the, um, so then you've got loss there and then you've got this excess above it. So where does that, where do the lines divide? Because this is an important point. Um, it gets confusing because when we talk about fat transfer and removing fat, people are like, well, why are you doing removing in one case and taking it out, you know, like, why is that? Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So the orbital rim, which is the bone along the eyelid underneath the muscle and on top of the bone, there's a layer of fat there. And that layer of fat begins to diminish with age. And when that fat diminishes, all of a sudden the eyelid runs into the cheek through a distance that you call the eyelid cheek junction. And that distance gets longer. And when it gets longer, that's where you see people, they just, they look hollow and gaunt and tired, et cetera. They also look darker because the tear trough, which is the, the you know, the corner of the eyelid um, where it connects to the nose, that area especially gets deep. So that's volume loss happening there. And then above the bone, and this is why the bone is an important um, point of uh, demarcation, above the bone is where you start to get the excess stuff happening. That's where the skin and the, and the fat become excessive. And when that happens, when you look at that eye, you have to examine exactly what's going on and you have to diagnose it properly because if all you do is take out the fat from the eyelid, right, you, the puffiness from the eyelid, well, you still have a very long eyelid cheek junction the eye's still going to look gaunt and tired looking, but there won't be a, there won't be puffiness, but there still could be excess skin there too. So it's like, so, you know, it's so, so important to, to examine the eye correctly and then associate the right treatment. So when I do this, I'm looking at all three of those things. And my general treatment um, plan would be uh, fat transfer to fill the volume loss. And then for the excess, I get, I have two options there. One is called a skin pinch, which is just the removal of skin only. And then the other one is a lower blepharoplasty, which is the removal of fat and a skin pinch. It combines the two. So, um, basically, you know, I, we want to make sure we address all three of them. When you do that, it's this beautifully rejuvenated eye that looks so rested and tight, but it really starts with, I mean, you can't have it without volume augmentation, Like mm -hmm. I will, I personally will not I, I truly will not do a lower blepharoplasty without fat transfer. You know, I mean, even if the patient says, no, I don't want a fat transfer. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm not doing your blepharoplasty because you just can't get a, uh, a refreshed looking eye without volume there. And it, you'll never really see somebody with, with uh, aging eyes that doesn't have volume loss in addition to it. So that's mm -hmm. what's happening to the, uh, the lower lids. For the younger people who don't necessarily need or want surgery, do you... Are you, are you okay with putting filler under the eyes I mean, at any point? You are good. Uh, yeah, it's like a perfect Because <laughs> I've done question. everything. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a perfect question. So here, here's what it comes down to. So there are definitely candidates for tear trough fillers in younger mm. people who only have volume loss confined to the tear trough and it's, and it's literally minimal, right? Okay. So, um, and I, I think I did a, a video on this um, and posted on Instagram where I showed three different types of volume loss patterns along the lower lid. If it's just confined to the tear trough and there's no excess skin and no puffiness, this is an important point to, to make because it has nothing to do with age. There are 20 year olds who have fat pads um, under their eyes, right? Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening in those cases to an injector who is perhaps not as experienced or quite understand this concept, 
what they'll do is they'll put a lot of filler under the, underneath the eye to try to match the height of the bag, right? The mm-hmm. eyelid bag. And when you do that, you're, you're just overwhelming the, the local tissues with too much filler. And too much filler in that area ends up causing Tyndall effect. It causes this kind of weird puffiness in that region. So the, the ideal candidate for lower eyelid fillers is somebody who just has very minimal volume loss confined to the tear trough. And with that, truly... 0.2, 0.3 cc's maximum. That's, so that's a quarter to a third of a syringe of like a product like Resilin is enough to correct the problem. If you're, if you're using a half to a cc or a full cc of volume using filler, you're using too much for what is going on with your eyes. And that's where you're going to run into trouble. You have a similar philosophy about that when it comes to like doing filler in the mid face, like in the cheeks, or is it just like, if you need more than a little bit, then you're, then you need, then you're a candidate for something more permanent. hundred percent. Because one of the biggest reasons why people put mid face um, fillers in is because of that um, groove that forms, you know, in the middle of the cheek in the mid face, but that groove is not just volume loss. It's the mid face actually descending. It's, it's getting, you know, it's dropping and getting heavier and encroaching on the nasolabial fold. So mm-hmm. A simple test is if you put your finger on the outer part of your cheekbone, you know, your, your outside cheekbone and kind of pull up, if it, if by lifting it, it smooths that area out, then the answer is not, is not to fill that region. Because if you fill it, you're just going to get this heaviness to that middle, middle portion of your face. All the while your mid face keeps dropping further down. And now you're giving more volume on top of your nasolabial folds. And then it looks terrible. So mm-hmm. <laughs> no situation, like for example, when I do the vertical restore, vertical prevent and the fat transfer, eight or nine out of 10 times, I don't put any um, fat transfer or any volume in the mid face. That's all corrected because I in the because I'm doing a deep plane approach. I release mm-hmm. all of the the uh, the ligaments of the mid face, and I'm actually able to lift the mid face up. And when I lift it, then I don't need to use volume because the cheek already has its own volume that just you know smooths that area out. So mm-hmm. that's a very very common area for people to get overfilled because they're trying to c- correct that depression there, and that depression is not it's not a volume problem; it's a sagging problem in most. Right. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> okay. We only have a little bit of time left, so we can kind of end on like the the jowls, the neck area. Is there anything that people can do that's less invasive, that is effective if they are not candidates for surgery yet? Yeah. So the total honest answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. I mean, there really isn't. I mean, you, you name a category and I can, I can tell you that that's not going to effectively address Botox. that. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. great question actually because I I had a uh, somebody one of the re- uh, reporters was just asking for a discussion on that, um, and I think I rained on their parade a little bit because I told them mm-hmm. the Botox. So here's where Botox and the neck bands actually work for you know th- that's a common area of people. If somebody has a dynamic neck band, meaning the kind that you know when you talk and and eat and the muscle is just firing away, you get those. It looks you know you flex it, it looks like a lizard, right? That type of an effect. Mm-hmm. When that muscle flexes, if it's doing that in a hyperactive way, you're going to look like you have neck bands and you could be twenties and thirties or whatever it is. That person can benefit from Botox to quiet that muscle down a little bit. But if you have true laxity, you know, the muscle is actually loose. So meaning that that muscle, that those neck bands are there, even when you're not talking, flexing, et cetera, and they're just kind of hanging there a little bit that's not going to get better with Botox. So doing Botox in that area 
isn't, I mean, all it takes is trying it one time and then you'll realize if it works or doesn't work. If it works, then great. If it doesn't work, then you just simply don't do it. The bigger investment is for uh, people who are doing, you know, trying threads and things like that, because threads, although may temporarily improve it, it's not going to give a long-term result. I mean, long-term, I'm talking greater than six months result with it. And then, so, you know, it's a big thing to go through for, for, I mean, you think it's not a big thing, but I mean, anytime you're piercing the tissues with, with something and putting something in there, you're running the risk of infection, irregularities, you know, all these kind of things that we know happen with, um, with threads. In fact, I, I uh, presented a, a published study on thread lifts. It was like, you know, 30% complication rate, you know, with thread lifts. And that's, that's a massive number for something that literally disappears after about six months. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing. So, so I'm not a big fan of, of anything for laxity short of surgery. And it sounds like, Oh, again, you're a surgeon. Of course, you're going to say that. Well, yeah, but as a surgeon, I could also do those things. I could have nurses and nurse practitioners and PAs do those things all day long in my office. I just don't do it because it's not fair to the patient to, to be misguided. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I did threads a few years ago. My listeners know how I feel about them. (laughs) And being somebody who's done threads and who's done different surgeries, I found the threads to be the most traumatic thing that I've gone through aesthetically, like period. I mean, surgery, you're out and like, yeah, you wake up and you're a little out of it and it can be uncomfortable for four or five days, whatever. Um, Threads, that whole experience was horrible and it's so expensive and it didn't last. I mean, I was swollen for a little bit and then it was just nothing. I mean, it it makes zero sense because you're not removing uh, any, anything, you know, you're not, you're not removing excess skin. You're not doing mm-hmm. anything. And then the, these newer threads, these PDO threads, this next generation of threads, they all disappear. I mean, they're meant to disappear because mm-hmm. the original, original, uh, uh, threads were permanent, you know, back when I was in residency there, they had just mm-hmm. come out and talk about a, a nightmare. I mean, these were, I'm sure some of the listeners have experienced this. This was, you know, literally 15 plus years ago. And, um, there were barbed, um, permanent sutures that mm-hmm. you stick into the face and then you hike up this, the skin on top of these barbs. And it was so painful and all, everything got bunched up. And, and it was, I, we, I did a couple of them in fellowship and it was just like, okay, this is not a good idea. <laughs> that was the last time I, I did that, but it didn't take, and then they disappeared. Everyone realized how bad they were. They disappeared. And then years later, almost 10 years later, they came out as these, these absorbable PDO threads. And now it's making another, you know, sort of marketing run. But it, before, you know, all these things have like a life, life cycle. It takes a little while. Everyone gets behind them, gets excited. And then, uh, and then the truth comes out, you know, in mass and then you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not doing that again. And I think we're mm-hmm. in the tail end of, of uh, thread lift popularity right now. Yeah, I agree. I think now people are realizing that maybe that's not what Bella and Kendall did because <laughs> they've gotten it done. The people yeah, yeah. have gone in, to the med spas and done it and it didn't yeah, do yeah. anything. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spreading the word. <laughs> exactly. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I had so much fun talking to you. Where can everybody find you? Where can they get your skincare? All of that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my Instagram and YouTube are both really great, uh, you know, resources for education and, and content and things like that. And they're both uh, Dr. Dr. Amir Karam, uh, both those. Uh, and uh, and our skincare um, website is uh, karamdskin.com. And uh, and then for the skincare Instagram is just uh, Karam. Uh, Karam and be skin. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's where you can find me. And then my, my uh, surgical website is just drkaram.com. 
Amazing. Thank you yeah, so much. It's really, really fun. A lot of great questions. I really Thank enjoyed you. it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. I'm always posting about each episode there or over on my personal page at Ariel Laurie.